what you need to do is to marry your own personal destiny, the things that you really love, the things that you believe in, the thing, the ways that you want to spend your time. You have to marry that with the world and the things that it needs. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Okay, my guest today is Roger Nirenberg, who was born in New York City, graduated from Princeton University, where, where he received high honors in composition. He holds graduate degrees in conducting from the Manus College of Music and the Juilliard School. For many years, Roger served as music director of the Stamford Symphony in Connecticut, the Jacksonville Symphony in Florida, and as a guest conductor for many symphonies around the world. But today, Roger is perhaps just as known for a very innovative program he's created to bring insights from symphonic music to help companies organizations manage organizational change. Uh, Rogers had a fascinating career spanning and connecting very different industries and experiences, and we're very happy to have him here today on the From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom podcast. Welcome, Roger. Thank you, Andy. Great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm very happy to have you. So, so I'd love to start by hearing a bit about what you do now. What's your job? How, how long have you been doing this job? Do you like your job? <laughs> well, it's a very unusual job because it, it, I have uh, one, one foot is planted firmly in the world in which I grew, which is the classical music world. But the other is equally firmly planted in a world in which I did not grow up, which is the, the world of business and the way business is evolving. So I'm engaged by business organizations to to come and do a presentation at their meetings. Um, and my presentation is customized, entirely customized, around whatever it is that they want to accomplish in that meeting, which, which is about what their aspirations are and uh, what their challenges are. And I, I consult with them to find out what that is. At the meeting, I appear with a, a live symphony orchestra, which has is the local orchestra wherever the meeting happens to be, and with whom I've worked for just one hour uh, rehearsing the music. And the room is set up in such a way that the audience, anywhere from, let's say, 50 to as many as 1,000 participants, they're all sprinkled inside the orchestra. So they're looking at the process from the player's point of view. And, and then I design role-playing exercises that spontaneously cause the issues that are alive inside the business organization to spring to life in the symphony orchestra. So that by listening to the orchestra play, they actually, it becomes like looking in the mirror for the, for the participants. 
and they see their own behaviors and their potentials with greater clarity than they do in real life because life unfolds at a certain speed and it's slow and sometimes it's hard to connect the dots because it's too long a time between an action and what the result will be. But in music, things happen much faster and therefore you can immediately see the relationship between a behavior and the result that it brings about. So it turns out that it's very enlightening and it's enlightening not only for the participants who have engaged me, but also for the musicians because it causes them to reflect on their own professional lives in a way that they haven't before. And that's called the music paradigm. And that's what I do. Wow, very creative and interesting. So so let's let's rewind. Where did you go to college? What did you major in? Did you like it? And just sort of tell us a bit about your college experience. Well, I went to Princeton University and I majored in music composition. And that was what, from about the age of, oh, let's say 12, that was what I, I wanted to do. That was what I thought I was going to do. And indeed, that was what I, I did. I also played in orchestras and, and I really adored conducting. And I, I did some conducting even when I was in high school. And uh, through college, I conducted a lot of the works that, that I had composed. But by the time I was ready to graduate, uh, having been informed by every teacher that I ever had that music was a very difficult career, and um, uh, I thought that if, if I was going to embark on a difficult career, it ought to be something that I, that I really loved. And I thought that I just loved conducting more than I did composing. And so then I made a decision to pursue a career in, in conducting. And that was indeed what I did for the first at least two decades of my life, maybe longer than that. So that's my history. Do you remember the very first time you, uh, I guess it's not after college, but after your advanced training, when you first, when you first started conducting, do you remember what it was like at, 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 at very first? Was it, was it, I'm trying to sort of draw a parallel between maybe a student who might leave college or even leave a master's program and jump into their first job. Do you remember what your first job was like? Well, uh, there's conducting the art. And then there's the conducting the career. And I was very unknowing about the career. Unlike uh, some of my colleagues who grew up in, in musical families, you know, there was nobody in my family who knew anything about the music career. And so I was, uh, I was really flabbergasted and confused and uh, at a loss. I just had no, absolutely no idea how to advance. And so it took me many years before I kind of got on my feet and, uh, and finally won my first job. And what, tell us a bit about the, the very interesting transition that, that you've made. It sounds like it, wasn't, it, it didn't end up being an either-or situation. So either conducting or doing the interesting work with companies that you described earlier, but kind of a both-and. How did that develop? And what... What sort of was the spark that, that sort of, you know, pivoted you in your career? Well, that's a really good question. First of all, I never intended to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, I, I really didn't have any desire to help business organizations. 
I was instead, I was very interested in the world of classical music, specifically orchestras, and the drift that I saw in society, which was definitely moving away from the values on which our art form is based. Uh, shorter attention span, more competition for for entertainment time. You know, many changes in society were making it ever uh, increasingly difficult for uh, symphony orchestras to survive. And that was a problem that I was interested in because I felt that to the extent that my institutions could thrive, I could achieve more of the artistic goals that that I had. And so I I kind of posed for myself the question, was there a way that I could get people who didn't really have much interest in classical music? Could I not only attract their attention, but but could I give them a really artistic, powerful experience of what listening to music could be like? That was my goal, and that was what I was pursuing. But I did it in a creative way by combining and bringing together many different uh, elements of of my life, like the teaching of conducting that I did at Juilliard, and then the, there was a, uh, a children's concert that I did in Stanford in which I placed the children inside the symphony orchestra, and many of the educational concerts that I had done, and even some of the speeches that I had made. And I kind of Combined them in such a way that this thing was born. And only after it was launched for the purpose of expanding audiences did I get any idea that it was actually useful to businesses and how useful it was. That was kind of a big surprise to me. I had never expected that. And when was the first time that you, that you actually went into a business or that a business invited you to do one of the presentations that you're talking about? I don't remember exactly the date, but I think it was around 1995. And did it take a while? How did you find that? that, Yeah. Um, Well, it was curious because uh, I was routinely giving uh, pre-concert talks with both of my orchestras. And then there was a a CEO from an insurance company who was a, a regular member of the concert audience. And he invited me to, to come and speak to his, at his business meeting about uh, teamwork in the orchestra because he was doing a reorganization in his, in his business that was shifting the way that his people uh, acted in teams. And I said to him, I'd be happy to do it, but I wanted to understand what the context was. And then based on what I learned, I designed an experience for them in which I brought a, a string quartet with me because I thought the string quartet was the perfect metaphor for what how they needed to think about themselves. And then that was so well received uh, that then I started getting asked to do it by other organizations, and I did it with the orchestra, and that was even more successful. And, um, and then I was encouraged by, by one of the board members in one of my orchestras that this was sufficiently important that I could even do it in other places. Oh, very interesting. Uh, serendipitous even, but it sounds like, you know, you looked out for opportunities and took advantage of them. So I'm, you know, I think that's a great lesson. So, so it's now time for the advice section of our discussion. Um, we'd love to hear the advice that you have for students and young professionals sort of, um, 
know, about to about to leave college, enter the professional world, and really embark on their career. So, first question is, from your vantage point, what what two to three uh, real misconceptions do you think young professionals have when entering the workplace? When you're in school, the the path that you're on is pretty delineated and has been delineated from the first time you went to school as a child. But the the world that you enter into when, when you leave school, at least this was the case for me, and I think it's even more so now, doesn't have such clear paths. Uh, and especially now because things are changing so rapidly. And when you think about you know, something which is as, as important in the world as Facebook and how quickly that happened, it used to be the case that for, you know, for a, 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 a important international organization to grow up, it, w- it would take decades. But this happened so quickly and things, you know, empires are built and they fall extremely rapidly. When, when I started doing this, one of the most powerful and important organizations that was my client was Sears. And the notion that that could have ever gone bankrupt in, in that time, it was unthinkable. So today's world, things, opportunities are being discovered and empires are being disrupted. Disruption is, is very important. So I think that a, a good feel, a good, a good instinct for where opportunity might be. And what you need to do is to marry your own personal destiny, the things that you really love, the things that you believe in, the, thing, the ways that you want to spend your time. You have to marry that with the world and the things that it needs either it needs right now or that it could need. And to find some way of building a bridge between the two so that the contribution that you're making has the power of your own, your own creativity, your own beliefs, the things you value. Because I think it's, it's like Steve Jobs very famously said that, that you start off with what you really feel passionately about. And that's where your biggest contribution is going to be made. So looking back then from college, it's interesting. So you, you have gone in a bit of a different direction. And I'm sure that the music composition and conducting that you did in college is, obvi- is, is obviously directly related to that side of your work. How about what skills and knowledge from college ended up being useful for, for sort of this other unexpected side of your career, the music paradigm? Well, when I look back at college and and if you know apart from the musical skills i think uh, in college i learned a lot about how to communicate how to organize my thoughts and how to kind of make make a clear uh argument if you will or to make a case for a particular idea that i had i think that was uh, that was enormously important Another thing that happened to me, it didn't happen in college, but it happened much later, is that I just took a couple of acting classes with a wonderful acting teacher named Ed Berkeley at uh, the Aspen School, which is a, a music uh, school. 
But I took some acting classes. And because of that, even though I only took maybe a dozen of them, uh, I became a much more persuasive uh, communicator. And I think that that was really transformational. I think the ability to communicate, to connect with people, is really important and it's universal. It, 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 uh, it's a power no matter what you do. To be, to be able to get people to sort of see and feel what it is that you see and that you feel. That's actually a good segue to my next question, uh, advice question number three, which is, it's a bit of a grandiose question, but from your vantage point where you sit, what does it mean to be a great leader? Well, I think it means many things. Ultimately, a great leader is somebody who contributes to people achieving great results. While that's really the essential truth about it, it doesn't say very much, does it? So uh, I think great leaders have a talent for connecting the present to the future. And that means that they, they have to uh, be firmly rooted in both. I mean, a lot of people are more rooted in fundamentally, they're more rooted in the present and in the past. And I'm not talking about, you know, the 1800s. I'm talking about like the past experiences we have and we re- relate to the world through the lens of our past. But there are people who, who look at the world with kind of uh, continually fresh eyes and they're, they're very attracted to possibilities. They're seeing not only what there is in front of them, but what, what could be. And so a leader is somebody who has a vision of what could be and then challenges himself or herself to find a way to bring where we are now towards that possibility. So that's fundamental, but also fundamental is the ability to inspire others to see the same thing that you've seen and then to uh, to lead them in such a way that they can actually bring bring to to reality what it is that bridge that you've imagined so it's now time actually for our student question um, and today's question comes from Kevin who is a student majoring in business and so let's hear uh, Kevin's question Hi, my name is Kevin Dickdam, and I'm a college student majoring in business with a minor in legal studies and anthropology from Houston, Texas. My question is, everyone has a unique skill they can bring to the workplace. Upon entering the professional world, how did you utilize your abilities to distinguish yourself and your work? So the question is, how did I, how did I distinguish myself through my abilities? Your unique abilities, I guess. My unique abilities. I I think the really important ingredient is persistence, because especially if you're if you're starting something new and if you're inventing something new, you're going to have a lot more failure, or let's put it, a lot more rejections than you will uh, success. And you have to you have to sort of brace yourself for that, and and have a, a very strong sense of uh, belief in what it is that, that you envision. And then um, you have to just stick with it. And that was really important. Uh, 
And for me, it was a question of finding the opportunities where I could just get my foot inside the door. Once I did, I had to be able to make a persuasive case for that. But I found the making of the case not so difficult as it was to find the opportunity and to just get an opportunity to to present. And that was just the question of trying again and again and again. So in some ways, it's persistence. It's, uh, it's It's that grit that's critical, right? I think persistence is enormously powerful. And of course, there's nothing really, there's nothing sophisticated about persistence. It's a very simple idea. It's just that you keep on trying and you keep on going back and you, you try another thing. And the thing that has failed two or three times, you keep on trying that because eventually there may be a little opening. And I think you have to be really uh, kind of, oh, uh, you have to have a sense for where there might be an opening because the door is not going to be thrown wide open for you. Likely there's going to be some kind of crack that will appear and to recognize that and then find a way to get the opportunity. Oh, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's, it's true in all sorts of professions. It's funny when you were talking, I was thinking of cooking. I love to cook. And uh, the idea of like trying to create a master recipe for something you're going to fail. You're going to fail again. You're going to fail again. But there might be that glimmer within that recipe of something that really does work. And then you can build around that. So I don't know. That, that's just what came to my mind. But I think it's a, it's a very, very good piece of advice for, for college students. Okay. So we're nearing the end of our chat. And it's now time for what we call the quick fire round. So these are pretty quick answers to five uh, quick questions. Are you ready? I am. All right. Number one. What gets you motivated at work? <laughs> well, I'm always at work. And what motivates me is beauty and imagination and creativity. And uh, I'm so hungry for that at all times of the creating of something which is beautiful that I never have any difficulty finding motivation. What's a piece of advice someone gave you earlier in your career that you'd didn't take, but you wish you did? I really don't. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe a piece of advice that, you, that someone gave you that you actually did take. Something early on. It's very difficult to see the things when, when you're young, before you've seen them, that people mm-hmm. are telling you about. So I got all kinds of advice that I just simply wasn't mature enough to, uh, to receive. Well, that's uh, that's that. There you go. That's actually a very important point for people to hear. What what makes a good mentor in your mind for young professionals? Let me just dwell on that last question for a moment because it's important. When somebody gives you some advice and it doesn't strike you as correct or it doesn't strike you as relevant, I would. What I've learned is that take some time and really think about that and file it away. Don't dismiss it. Because there may be something very important for you in that advice that you can either implement now or you might be able to implement later. So keep a catalog, keep, keep track of that advice, even if you don't know if you can use it or even fully understand it now, it might pay dividends in the future. And ponder it. Ponder it. Exactly. Ponder it. So, so a third question, what makes a good mentor for a young professional in your mind? Somebody who's capable of seeing the potential in, in the younger person and who is rewarded 
by helping that person to, to grow, by nurturing that person, by having a sense of what kind of experience does that person need. And also by somebody who will help that person expand his or her network. Because everybody, uh, everybody grows in part through not only subjects that they know and skills that they have, but relationships. So a mentor will constantly be opening the door to, to new relationships and new people and new, a new diet of stimulation. What were the worst and the best parts of your college experience? Well, one of the worst parts was going to a, a school that was not co-education. I went to an all-male school. I went ah. to Princeton before it became, became co-ed. And that was one of the worst aspects. Uh, I think, you know, when you're in your um, late teens, your early 20s, that's not the time to isolate yourself from the opposite sex. But that's not really what people are interested in. Ask me the question once again, what were the worst parts of my college education? Yeah, just off the top of your head, the, the best and worst, the best and worst of your college experience. I think uh, I went to a place that was a very powerful academic uh, environment. And so ideas and concepts and, and all that, they, you know, everybody was very conversant with that. More practical things and the kinds of things that are, are you know, you'd never publish, you wouldn't write about, but especially for for a musician, the developing of kind of skills, just basic fundamental skills, I don't think they were as emphasized as, as would have been helpful to me. I, I think it was assumed that I could just take care of that myself, but I couldn't. I needed more guidance. And then finally, last quick fire question is, if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice that you would give to the 20-year-old college version of you? And you sort of covered that a minute ago in terms of trying to appreciate the advice that you were given. But is there anything else that you might... If you could go back in time and talk to that 20-year-old version of you that you might... The advice you might give to yourself. Well, I think what I would say is the way you see yourself and the way you see the world may have a lot of delusion in it. It's so, there's so much that you haven't experienced when you're young. And, you know, people, uh, people sometimes they get notions about the way they put it together, the sense they make of it all. And it's very difficult to see when you're misguided. And I think I could have had a more open-minded attitude uh, about just making a different sense if I had known that there are other ways of making sense and that I would have benefited from understanding them and not being quite so dismissive. Because young people, they can be dismissive of things that, that they don't agree with, that, uh, that don't resonate with what with their values. But I think that in time, those things may turn out to be the most important of all. Well, this is really, really useful and interesting. And I, I know it's going to benefit uh, the people listening. And so we're at the end of our chat. And I want to thank you so much for being our guest. Um, can, you, can you tell us how listeners can find out more about you, your work, uh, if they're interested? Do you have a website, social media? What, what would be a good way to connect with you? Well, there's, there's a website, which is musicparadigm.com. 
And there's also, I mean, there's this Facebook page and then there's, there's Twitter and all that stuff. There's also a book I wrote, which is called Maestro, a surprising story about leading by listening uh, that I think articulates the ideas. And all that is uh, readily available. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at Andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.